Hello and welcome to the Maidcast, the official podcast of the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment. A series of lectures on video game history as part of the Maid's ongoing effort to preserve history through teaching and displaying playable exhibits of rare games and consoles. The museum is located at 921 Washington Street, downtown Oakland. Our hours are noon to 7 p.m. Wednesdays and Thursdays, 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. Fridays and Saturdays, and 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. on Sundays. For the past few years, and still to this day, the support of people like you has allowed us to continue to bring history to you through lectures and interviews like the one you'll hear in a few minutes. I'm Jed, and this week I sit down with Michael Sheese, the Executive Director of the Pacific Pinball Museum in Alameda, California. We get into some of the history of pinball, including its mafia roots in the 1930s, the evolution of the technology in the decades since, and the importance of preserving the history of interactive play. Hello and welcome to the Maidcast. Today we are joined by Michael Shees, Executive Director of the Pacific Pinball Museum in Alameda, California, not far from our museum in Oakland. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. I appreciate it. I've uh, been instructed to send along our thanks for your uh, team's help at Academy of Sciences at Nightlife a few weeks, uh, a few months ago. Were you part of that? I was part of that, but I got to put out uh, a big thanks to, it was David Volansky who really uh, figured out what was going on. Okay. He's pretty quick with the meter. Um, Yeah, they had one, uh, and you happened to pick the wrong plug to plug into. I think we... You know, I don't know how we got around that one because I think we we plugged into that, but somehow we figured it out real quick. Um, but yeah, it blew out all your equipment. That was horrible. Yeah, yeah. Um, they have since fixed it. Yeah, that was a couple Thursdays ago. Yeah, that was late last year, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, and are you much of a video game fan? You know, I have a video game actually. Uh, it's uh, Tempest. I am. I am a fan of vector graphic uh, video games. That's kind of where I draw the line. Yeah. Um, not to say that you know some of the new newer things that are played on home PCs are are just amazing. Uh, the graphics and, and everything amaze me. But um, no, I just never got into the the fighting part of it or the you know. Yeah, it was a big difference for me. I I I played Pong when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that was pretty cool. But to be honest with you, I would buy the monitors, the vector black and white monitors. I still have one. I'd buy the color ones out of the Tempest when all this stuff went surplus, and I would hook them up to my analog synthesizer and make incredible you know color patterns with the color one. Oh. And with the black and white one, I use it to teach. Uh, I'll bring an analog synth and I use it when I'm teaching kids about physics and in particular sound and waveforms. It's a big oscilloscope. That's what it is. Right. And so you can uh, put in signals and then uh, modulate over that with your voice. So the kids, they, they really pick up on it, you know. So yeah, video games do have their place in my life. <laughs> but unfortunately, it's not the game part. It's the technology kind of. At the museum, we have something called a Vectrex, and essentially, it's uh, a console and a TV in one, essentially, and it's all vector-based graphics. Is and it, this came out, I think, in the early '80s or late '70s. Um, so it's a CRT. And- it's a CRT with essentially a console built in okay. that's specifically vector graphics. There's something about that. I don't yeah. know. I mean, like uh, uh, there was a tank game, Battlezone. I think. Yeah. I loved that one. You know, when you blow them up, and just the way they they just. 
you know, blow up. I loved that. You know, I wasn't very good at it, but, uh, but you know, I, lo- I love the graphics on that. And Tempest just blew my mind, you know, in terms of the way they, they did it. My, my day job was doing special effects for slides and stuff, and I developed like a, a color um, light source for shooting onto film. And it was all film back then. And then we developed one of the first uh, um, computer-to-film uh, rendering. Bo- it was just a box with a black and white monitor and a uh, RGB filter that rotated and would shoot mm. each color in succession. Ah. And we get a fairly high-resolution slide. Yeah. And so, uh, and then after, <laughs> that's when our company fell apart because... Basically, that's where the industry went. Nobody was doing film anymore, you know, and that was pretty much my whole life up to that point was doing motion picture film and slide film work and special effects. Where, where were you working uh, when you were working on that stuff? That was in San Francisco. Um, and then during this time, you're also playing a lot of pinball games, I assume? Yeah, I was playing quite a few. Um, I had a, a, a one of my friends, uh, when I got out of... Uh, high school, Berkeley High, Ed and I were total pinball freaks. You know, I don't know how that happened, but he liked pinball and I did. So we would, you know, wherever we go, if we saw a pinball machine, we'd play flips usually. We, you know, we used to just uh, play solo, but it was the um, lack of funds that pretty much forced us to play flips because we could get twice as many games with the same amount of money. He'd take the left, I'd take the right flip, and we we could kick butt on machines playing it because we're, we're just in sync, you know? Hmm. Um, and so we just would always play that way from, uh, you know, um, and we went to Germany together and, and Germany in 73 and 74, it was crazy. We were in Hamburg in the Reeperbahn, which is, you know, kind of, a, I didn't even realize how dicey it was back then. I was just a naive 19 yeah. year old kid. And they had, they had some European machines, but mainly, you know, it was uh, all American. They're, they're, American machines were always the best. And they had, they called them Spielhall, Spielhallen. And yeah, they're just rows of pinball machines, you know. And I guess all that stuff is, has been coming back to the United States. Mm. Now it's kind of going back to Europe because, you know, they've, they've developed a real taste for older, you know, classic uh, pinball. But yeah, we played uh, all over, and then locally there was a place called Silver Ball Gardens in uh, in Durant on Durant in Berkeley. It was pretty infamous for you know being the pinball place. So how many machines did they have? Wow, it's hard to remember, but I think they would have you know ten to fifteen pinball, and then they started getting into the the video games. Yeah, so tell me about like, I guess that transition, you know, late seventies, early eighties, when the when the video games started coming in. So the first, I, I distinctly remember playing pong up on Northside Berkeley at the um, oh, what was that pizza place? Lavelle's, Lavelle's Pizza, and they had the pong machine. I mean, what the hell is that? <laughs> you know, wow, and you, you know, pretty amazing. I'm I'm always amazed by technology. You know, to me, it's. Uh, it, even when I find out how it works, it's still, I'm always been impressed by it. Uh, so yeah, the first machine you played was a, a Pong machine. And then uh, where did it go from there? Uh, my friend was pretty good at playing. Um, we go to UC Berkeley at the uh, uh, student 
Union building down in the basement. The, I think they call it the Bear's Lair. That's where I, I think you could really find uh, more video games. And my friend was playing Centipede. I tried it. I, I sucked, you know. I'm just, I'm just not... Uh, I, I don't know what it is. But pinball, you know, it was a natural attraction. I mean, I got my first pinball machine when I was about 14 or 15. I, I traded this big electric sign that I found to my friend. His mom owned a bar. And they were getting rid of this pinball machine, so I gave them ten bucks in the sign, and I had my own pinball machine. You know? Nice. Now they were supposed to take the coin mix out, take the schematics out, and take them to the dump. They were supposed to dump and smash the back glass, just because they didn't want anybody else using that machine to make money. I see. So all the operators, it, it you know, pinball is pretty amazing because it obviously led into the video games, but. Um, video games came around. It was a much more kinder, gentler uh, amusement uh, business because back in the day, the it came out of the depression. Pinball. The only people with money were the ones running booze and and uh, gambling. It was the mafia, and they paid for a lot of uh, factories to be built so they could build these pinball machines that they, they would then control where they went. You know, people don't realize how big pinball was. It was making more money than the motion picture industry, supposedly for 30 years. Wow. It, it made so much money. There was, you know, it was a nickel and a dime at a time, even a penny at a time. But it was a lot. It was so much that, you know, Mayor LaGuardia, you know, he outlawed it and but the thing was, it was it was connected with this, um, you know, with organized crime, and not only that, uh, even you know, some companies weren't that way, but they still wanted to maintain control over who could buy these machines and operate them. Much different than video games, where you know, you just buy, you open up an arcade, you buy the machines, you know, and that's pinball eventually caught up, but it took a little while, you know. I think Bally was was still doing uh they really even after flippers came out they went back um and flippers changed everything in pinball and you know before before flippers it was it was a gambling device you know you you got enough points the bartender would give you a beer or money whatever and they had knockoff buttons to knock off the credits that you won we're talking 999 credits right that was the max you could like who's gonna play 999 games, right? <laughs> so, so the whole whenever you see a pinball machine that has three digits for the for the credit unit, that's what that's about. Interesting. But that was a real big. You know, you asked me like, uh, like why, why didn't I make the transition to to video games? The main reason was there was no credit given. Mm. You played it and and you won. You didn't get anything. Interesting. With pinball, you always got something right. if you won. You know, you'd hear it go pop. Everybody'd know that you just beat that machine, mm. and that was a big deal. You know, I mean, just the the pride of uh, <laughs> of hearing that pop, and then everybody everybody looks. Oh, that guy won a game. He must be good. You know, and um, hey, I never got really good at pinball. I still you know struggle with it, but that's part of the charm of it. But, you know, I remember feeling that, you know, when I, I remember winning six games on a, on a Gulf stream, 
and later on in life, that was the game I, the first game I bought because you know it had that connection with me. Sure, I, I, I actually kicked the butt of that machine. You know, yeah, and I, I found that really odd. Why wouldn't video games follow suit with that? You know, and I and I couldn't understand why people were dumping money into that. I remember talking to Tim Arnold, you know, when he got his first Pong game, and he thought, well, oh, this is just going to be a passing fad. And sure enough, a week later, it was broken, you know. And so he went to open it up. And the reason it was broken was there were so many freaking quarters in the thing that it jammed up and it wouldn't take anymore. <laughs> I mean, it was literally full of quarters. So he immediately went and bought like 10 more of them. I forget how many, but, you know, he saw he saw the, the potential of that. Yeah, and they, they sure made a, a ton of money, but... Um, it's 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 interesting because video games have moved into the home and pinballs are still a social sandbox is what I call it, you know, kind of an adult sandbox for people to gather around, you know, and play without uh without the sand, of course. Yeah, well that's what I was gonna say about the um you know, about the, the chime going off when you win the game is, is that like there must have been a, a, a culture around that, you know, that, that evolved at arcades where uh, uh, there's certain signifiers of skill and, and uh, I guess just a different culture from the modern arcade in, in, in what you're talking about. It's um it's not a chime, though. It's a knock. Okay. It's very distinctive from all the other sounds. In fact, with the modern games, they uh, Stern started putting this loud chirp and it's, and it's pretty obnoxious, but it sure lets everybody know that you won a game, right? Right. But um, yeah, they're kind of going back to the knocker because <laughs> the knocker was a sweet sound. It was actually a solenoid with a plunger okay. that was made when it went off. It just uh, it just knocked the side of the cabinet, right? And the cabinet's pretty good sound box, so it's a very distinctive sound. You know, it, it, I find it really interesting that. Pinball has gone up and, and down in cycles. From 1931, when it first made its its uh, commercial appearance in terms of um, manufacturing, where they were really cranking them out, and that was that was the beginning of the depression. The depression started basically in, in uh, 29 and lasted for 10 years. Prohibition ended in 34, mm -hmm. but pinball kept going. And uh, so the mob kind of got squeezed out. Then LaGuardia, he did clean up New York. There was a, you know, I mean, the the history of it is the Tammany Hall was very corrupt um, regime in New York. And he he swore he was going to clean up New York. And he did. Got rid of all the slot machines. Uh, and then that's why they turned to pinball, the mob. And what was the journey for pinball from that to kind of legitimacy? In the 50s, that's when the bingos were getting really popular. And the, and the bingo machines are, it's a pinball machine with a bunch of holes, no flippers. It's basically, it's gambling again. Bingos is a, a bunch of holes, like 25 generally, and a back glass that has numbers and you're, you're lighting them up. You're trying to get three in a row, four in a row, five in a row. It wants you to, uh, you put one quarter in, you can, you can start a game, but generally, you know, the odds are really low. So you put another quarter in and it increases your odds a right. little bit. 
you keep you put a lot of quarters in it to get it set up so that if you get that three in a row, four in a row, it's really going to pay out, right? Mm. So these guys, I mean, there's a, there's a great record. I forget who that's by about the pinball machine that you know stole all his money. You know, it's at a truck stop, and the truckers were really into this stuff. The, the way I heard it was the feds came down on this stuff because the wives were sick of their husbands losing their whole paycheck on a damn pinball machine, you know? So, um, so the feds started looking into it and Gottlieb, uh, you know, was testifying, I guess. And they go, well, we don't do that. Bally does, you know, they pointed the finger at Bally. And this is in court that they're doing this? Yeah, or? I guess okay. so. And so, you know, they came down on Bally. They made it illegal to transport parts, things. And so, you know, these guys are clever. Uh, they got around that. There's different stories, but one of the ones is they had this one game. Bally produced this one game. It was just a crappy game, and nobody could understand, like, why are they selling these things? They're all over the place. Well, they were... They were uh, like an amusement game, you know, it had flippers and everything, but it was loaded with bingo parts because the only way uh, they could get the bingo parts to people that needed them was to put them in the right. machine that was like an amusement machine. But uh, uh, what was funny was, I don't know if they were forced into, or they just saw the writing on the wall, but they started making flipper pinball. Mm -hmm. They actually started it in, the, in 56 and 57 with this incredible game, first multi-ball game. Then they didn't do anything for a while. They were back to making bingos and gambling games and other stuff, other some amusement stuff. But uh, when they finally just like uh, settled on, you know, making more and more uh, flipper games, Gottlieb had come out with this really popular game called Tropic Isle, where you, you would, um, it's called a carryover. Um, you you do these things and it's a back it's a back glass that's that's lit up. It's got a palm tree and you do certain things and all of a sudden a monkey appears. It lights up, you know, at the bottom of the coconut tree. You you keep doing it and you advance that monkey up the up the palm tree, uh, right, until he gets to the coconuts and you get a you get one game, you know, when you get when you get that one monkey there. Well, there's three monkeys, right? So when you come up on the game and it's a carryover, in other words. Um, it doesn't go away after the game ends because it's really hard to get that monkey to go up. It might take you three or four games just to get one monkey up there if you're good. Mm. So when you go up to the game and you'd see two monkeys there and the third one's really close, you know that, wow, if I get that monkey up there, I'll even get three games, you know, and that's pretty good. I found this game called um, uh, Moonshot and the artwork on it's incredible. You know, it's, they took Tropic Isle, and I've measured it and compared it. I mean, it is exactly the same play field. They just changed the artwork. Hmm. And I wonder, God, how did they get away with that? And I think they got away with it because Gottlieb, after what they did to Bally, wouldn't, and this kind of, <laughs> you know, uh, Bally, I would imagine, is kind of scary, right? So you're not going to go mess with them. <laughs> so they just copied that game. Yeah. Like, here, what do you think of that? You know, <laughs> and so that one's at the museum. It's kind of funny to to read about that and see, you know. So around what year is this where it's becoming, you know, more uh, accepted? So, uh, 
Well, there's a movie out, you know, The Man Who Saved Pinball. I don't know if you've heard of it. I haven't seen that. it. I haven't seen it either, but it's it's um, uh, Roger Sharp. You know, he played in front of the New York City Council. That was in 76. So pinball had been banned in New York for 40 years almost, uh, 30, 30 years. Yeah, quite a while. And I remember being in New York with my buddy Ed. That's where he is from. And he knew where to go to find pinball because, and I don't know how this worked. He was an army brat, so the the army bases had pinball. Okay. Because they weren't under the jurisdiction of New York law. So uh, you could go there. Uh, but there were also things called add a ball where they didn't give you, a, you couldn't win a free game. You just could win an extra ball. And that's how they kind of got around this the whole thing. That started to get it more accepted again because, oh, okay, well, because they considered a game, you know, winning a credit had value, and it did. It was whatever the price of the game was. But an extra ball they couldn't put a value on. Right. That's right. just extended play. So, huh. um, so it started coming back. Uh, that was in the 60s, and, you know, a, a few other big cities it was still banned in fact it was banned in oakland until 2014 we went arcades were banned in alameda pinball if you had a bar you could have a few pinball machines but you couldn't make that your main business I same see. with video games huh. and uh, after we started our museum you know they kind of called me to the carpet and like hey what are you doing this is illegal and i'd already read the law and they had their lawyers there and everything I was just trying to get a permit for our sign, right? And they just said, oh, no, sir, what you're doing is illegal, you know? And they really... Right? So how did you get around it? Well, I read the law, and the law had to do with uh, operating coin drop amusement machines. And so I just said, well, we don't do that. And they go, what do you mean you don't do that? I go, we don't do coin drop. I said, I took all the coin mix out. We don't take any money in the machine. Well, how do you make any money? I just said, we charge admission, you know, we ask for a donation. You know, at first it was all, you know, we just asked for a donation. Then we got our 501c3 and, and uh, became legitimate. Um, so can you tell me about, like, um, what what year did you start, I guess, collecting and then what kind of led to the creation of the museum? The way it got started was I was working for the Exploratorium, building exhibits, and uh, my background's electromechanical uh and I, uh, then I bought this house, and it was really run down. And so I, I, I quit. I quit my job at the Exploratorium, so I could rebuild one of the places, start renting it out. And you know, I was looking towards the future. And my wife and I, you know, put a lot of work into this house, and that's where all the all my uh, energy was going. And then uh, the Exploratorium started. Uh, hiring me back as freelance. So I would go around all over to all these different museums. This is about 2002. And I decided, that, you know, besides doing that, the freelance work was so good that I actually had extra money. And I said, you know what? I I really think pinball is, is an incredible art form. It just hasn't been presented that way. Hmm. And the best way to do it would be to get some old machines 
and retheme them, you know, with outrageous artwork, you know, and really just take it to the limit, right? So I was going to do art pinball machines. And uh, so I, I ended up buying 12 because this lady had 12 of them. And I, was, I wanted to buy, you know, ones where she had two of them. So I ended up buying a bunch of uh, double games so that I could fix one up and see how it worked and everything and preserve it and then take the one and, and you know, sand off the play field and all the art and redo it in my own <laughs> to my own liking because there was a lot of themes I, I didn't like you know that, well, I, I can do it I just couldn't do it you know hmm. it was kind of like oh geez I'm, I'm uh, this is like like chopping a Duesenberg you know <laughs> I just don't do that so I ended up with all these machines that uh, had some of them working some of them not I thought well what the hell am I going to do with it so I thought well you know what there's no place to play pinball so why don't I just rent this place and I'll put the machines in there? So that's kind of how it got started. Um, and it was this little speakeasy place. Um, and it's we're still in the same place. We just expanded all the way. Uh, what was behind the main street is now on the main street. It was just kind of bored through the whole commercial spaces, room by room. <laughs> and we ended up on the front. And... Um, then, you know, I was still working for the Exploratorium and I'm fixing these pinball machines. I'm going, you know, these are just kind of like science exhibits that I'm repairing. The public is pretty brutal. And, and on these science exhibits that I'm repairing, I mean, they just beat the crap out of them. Yeah. And I, and I was looking at pinball going, well, people beat the crap out of those, but they don't break as much, you know? So what is it about pinball? So it got me thinking, geez, you know, you can teach a lot with this stuff. You can teach uh, electricity and physics, art, and history. Mm. So it kind of, to me, I just thought it was a, if, if, because I know how pinball goes up and down, you know, it's a fad and this and that. I thought, well, if we're really going to make a sustainable museum, it's got to have more than just pinball. You got to talk about what pinball was, you know, where it came from. Yeah. And it's an incredible uh, history. And the artwork was what really, you know, my wife, that's kind of got my wife into it. She loves the artwork, you know. When you say art, you mean the actual visuals that are painted onto the cabinet. Yeah, the graphics, yeah. Okay. And now it's gotten even, you know, when I say the art of pinball, it's it's kind of changed lately because... There's a lot of artists that are making their own machines, kind of like I wanted to do in the beginning. Um, and I, I changed that into making kinetic art sculptures out of pinball stuff. So that's what I, I like to do. I'm making uh, uh, exhibits that deal with uh, aspects of pinball and uh, science. You know, like I made a giant Galton board, you know, that you, you launch balls into it. A lot of it is just you know, keep the kids busy <laughs> pulling yeah. that plunger. Uh, but eventually they, they get them all going and, you know, they see the bell curve and, and we talk about that, you know. So uh, a lot of it's educational. A lot of it's preservation. Nobody cares about this stuff that from the 40s. And the, hmm. I mean, there, there, there are people, individuals, and there's online groups and everything, but there's no museum for pinball there's all these places that you know oh there's the, a uh, seattle museum and you know they're all museums of pinball uh, even the one in vegas 
but they have no education. Mm. I mean, there's, and to me, a museum is a place you go to interact, sure, but you better have some educational stuff. Like, uh, we just took out Space Mission. Uh, we took that out last night. <clears throat> Popped in another game. But Space Mission was, you know, I was wondering, like, why did Williams um, do a pinball on Space Mission? Which, Space Mission was uh, was when the Americans and the Russians built two separate uh, modules right. and docked them in space, right. you know? Yep. And largely forgotten, but pinball said, well, this is fantastic, you know? And it's kind of funny because the different pinball manufacturers would do different things. And I always noticed that that Williams was the one manufacturer that always kind of uh, triumphed science. I remember talking to Gary Stern at one of our expos, and I said, because uh, then everything went themed, you know, movie themes. Mm. You know, and that, that happened. Bally started out with um, Captain Fantastic and Tommy, or I'm sorry, it's called Wizard, licensed games, you know. Um, Pinball always did that without actually, you know, they walked right up to the line of, of legality, right? The Beatles, right? The Beatles were really popular in the 60s, right? How could you lose making a, a game about the Beatles? Well, the Beatles aren't going to let you because, you know, you can't use their name. So they just went, okay, well, how about the Boodles, right? And so... And they did that. It's called. There's a game. It's there at the museum in the Pointy People exhibition. It's called. It's called Beat Time. But on the on the back glass, it's the Boodles. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, change a few letters. Yeah. Bally used the fonts in Eight Ball. Is that Eight Ball Deluxe? And it's the fonts, right? Well, the fonts agents call them. Hey, uh, you're using the likeness of the font. Oh, oh, we can't do that. We're sorry. All right, we, we won't do that anymore. Well, they come back 5,000 games later. Hey, you're still using them. Oh, you know, we told them to stop. They must have not gotten the memo. I mean, you know, this. I think they cranked out 15,000 of those games. I don't, think, I don't think Henry Winkler got a, a nickel. God, I hope he doesn't hear this. <laughs> uh, I think it's passed now. Yeah. But how, many, uh, actual, how many games are in the collection? We have, I think, at 1,300 games. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Unique, then, unique titles. I think we've been selling duplicates during the pandemic. We had to shrink. Sure. Our, you know, we used to. We were hoping to do expositions out at our warehouse, and then we pretty much got the word. No, that's never going to happen again. We we did one, and then. Uh, so you cycle through the warehouse and the, into the storefront, essentially. Yeah. You, you swap out machines kind of on a regular basis. Yeah, we're trying to make it more regular, but now we have a we finally uh, got our own truck with a lift gate, so that makes it a lot easier. Sure. I was doing all this stuff in my van, and uh, you know, and then we got a trailer. Now we have a real truck. We just did it yesterday. We took in five games. They're all chronological, so you get the history of pinball. There's a bunch in the front that you can't play. The really uh, '30s and, and early '40s stuff. It's bagatelle, is what they call it, right? Um, and then it, then it starts with the first flipper game and, and goes through. So you can get a real education about the development of the technology and the artwork and, you, you know, the, the style of the game just changed. And it's gone through changes to where 
at this point, you know, when I when I come up with the art of pinball, anybody who really wants to can make their own pinball machine now. I mean, before it took a whole freaking factory and engineers and designers and everything. Um, the board sets that have come out since, um, I mean, what inspired me because I'm I'm working on my own machine, uh, electronic one. Hmm. Um, was TNA, uh, Total Nuclear Annihilation. I, I started looking at that and I realized, oh, these boards, yeah. you can buy these, you know, and you so you can buy the set. The programming is, is um, free. Um, so you can design, get the parts and, and the boards to, to work everything and design your own pinball machines. And it has become more of an art form than it was before. Mm. Um, we currently have uh, on loan um, this Drag Queen pinball machine made by a friend of mine from the Exploratorium, Michael Brown. It's called Go Girl. And to play it, he made these little steel stilettos that you, you step into. <laughs> you play the game. And this this was made in the uh, 90s. Mm. As, as an Earthshaker, uh, Williams Earthshaker machine. So they re redid the artwork. They uh, put their own computer in there. It's got a little video camera. When you get to a certain point and you're successful, then it stops and it takes your picture oh. and then lets you try on different wigs. <laughs> and then you get a little further and it, you know, it's always going, you go girl. You know, it's, it's, it's hilarious. And I mean, these guys, he's exploratorium. So he's, he's pretty talented, but uh, he, he uh, did the programming. I mean, basically, he took a machine and, and paralleled onto it with all this stuff. It's pretty amazing, that's especially really cool. for back then. So, yeah. it's a, so that's a pretty active scene, the kind of homebrew pinball scene? I'm not sure exactly how big it is. But if you look at the fact, when we started out in 2002, Stern was making machines. Arcades weren't really around. There hadn't been a home market. And I remember them, I remember uh, Gary saying he was he was you know going towards uh, phasing out the pinball you know closing the the pinball and it was the last one you know hmm. and Williams went out in two thousand and they had bought up Bally Gottlieb had gone under in ninety eight I think um, yeah there wasn't anybody left except Stern and he was getting ready to fold up. We started doing our expos. I think that had a lot to do with with uh, charging up the whole pinball industry. They all came because we just looked at it different. We we looked at it as now this this stuff's really you need to see all of pinball and you know really check out the beauty of of what it is. And it, it just it just sort of uh, lit the fuse on. Um, well, what can I say? There's now at least 10 or 12 manufacturers making new pinball. And I just put in a, um, it's not really an exhibit. I just wanted to show what's happened. For the first time, we have four different manufacturers on coin machines. So that if people don't want to come into the museum, pay the admission and play all day, or uh, we have four coin machines. Each one's from a different manufacturer. Mm. And there's, you know, that's just the, the top, it's a uh, Stern, Jersey Jack, um, Chicago Gaming is now making reproductions of older games because oh. they've gotten so popular. The price on a uh, Adams Family 
has gone up to fourteen thousand dollars. Wow! Know? And so it's it's now, but they made a lot of those, so they haven't reproduced those yet. You know, don't quote me on that one. I'm not sure about the price. I do know that sure. Twilight Zone has has gone up higher quite than it a should bit. be. Yeah, the ones that were really popular, Medieval Madness. Um, oh, you've never played? That? I haven't played that one. No. Oh, I played. I don't, I don't know. About <clears throat> yeah. That. Oh, Medieval Madness. Yeah, it's, it was so popular. That that was the first game. They said, you know what? Hmm. Everybody, the prices on these things are up to twelve grand, and this was quite a few years ago. Let's remake it. Yeah. We own the light. Uh, uh, Planetary Pinball bought the <coughs> license, so yeah, they made it, and they made it. They remade it really well. So then they they've so far made remade four really popular games: uh, okay. Back from Mars, Monster Bash, and one that I bought from them, which is uh, Cactus Canyon. Which is one I always wanted, but they had only that was the last game that Williams made before they went to Pinball Two Thousand, and they only made a couple of games out of that. So the first standard pinball game, or the last one, was that, and um, you know everybody wanted one, but you, you couldn't get them; they're too expensive. Like that's what like that's interesting because what do you see as kind of what's the modern appeal of pinball machines because obviously we live in a world full of digital distractions video games and tiktok and whatever right. like what is kind of the modern <clears throat> appeal in your opinion of of pinball machines it's real you know i think people really uh long for something that they can put their hands on it's hmm. tactile video games don't offer that they don't offer the tactile, you know, you get to shove this machine around and it's, you know, it's a hmm. ball in a box. You're fighting gravity. You really got to be on your toes, you know, because they, they've they really gotten sophisticated with the story behind the game. Hmm. And fortunately, they are starting to, to get a little bit away from um, themed games, especially the independent manufacturers. They're coming up with their own themes. They're not just grabbing a movie or a TV series. That was one thing I, I remember talking to to Gary Stern about. I I, I asked him, "Hey, um, when are you going to start making original themed, you know, games again instead of these movie, you know?" And he just said, "Oh, kid, the the days of TNA are over." I got to say, he he doesn't get enough credit. He hmm. he kept a lot of pinball alive. The other person that that really helped keep pinball going was um, uh, Steve Young from the Pinball Resource. Because mm. he kept manufacturing the parts. Mm. Then after all, like, got closed, where are you going to get your parts to keep your machine going? So instead of all these machines going to the dump, like the the, the manufacturers wanted them to, right. um, they ended up uh, in people's houses and, and stuff. Right. That developed the whole home market and everything. Then the, the video game people said, well, we're getting cut out of this, you know. <laughs> Uh, and so they started making virtual pinball games. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have these, and it's more of a video game. I mean, it is pinball. You're playing pinball on a long, uh, you know, and they're they're getting pretty good at it. But uh, there's this tactile thing missing. Sure. And they even put those things in, like little things that bump the cabinet to make it feel like the ball's moving around. And they actually have flipper coils in there. <laughs> when you hit the flipper buttons so that you hear the flippers going, you know, and they, um, some people even put chimes and things like that. And, and the great thing is that you can have a hundred games in this one right. machine. Right. The other thing that's kind of cool is 
everybody, you know, people can gather around and watch you play. They don't necessarily do that with video. Maybe I'm mistaken on that, but um, vid a lot of video games are played in your mom's basement. Or uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna get in trouble for that one. Uh, you know, it's it's they're not they're not in it's an a arcade. Different culture. Yeah, yeah. It's they're not in an arcade. You're you're online playing against somebody that across the country or wherever. Uh, pinball's maintained a social gathering place hmm. because people go in there to compete directly with one another on multiple player games. But the other thing is that when you're playing, you know, other people are watching you, and you're almost like performing, a mu like uh, playing a musical instrument. I think th I think that's an ethos that the Maid Museum and the Pinball Museum have in common, where like we see the interactive, in-person part of our museum as a really important aspect of like, this is a place where you can come and not just see and learn, but also play, uh, you know, with other people who are interested in the same thing. So I think it's really cool that like, uh, Pacific Pinball Museum shares a lot of those same values. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I gotta, I, I, I want to get back there again. It's been, yeah. a, it's been a, a while. <laughs> yeah. Let me know. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give you a tour. Yeah. Are you, you guys are a nonprofit also. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty hard being a nonprofit in this, realm yeah because we're not uh, saving the baby whales you know people don't understand what value this adds to mm -hmm. society i would counter that interactive gaming that what you guys do and what we do is a, is a real important part of uh of bringing society together bringing people mm -hmm. together uh, it's hard to do that these days. Yeah. Everybody, especially after pandemic, you know, people need that. <laughs> you really need to, yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, and the kind of uh, video gaming you guys do is personal. Uh, it, it's in-person gaming, you know. That's important. Yeah. And uh, the other thing is that... Um, I, I just don't want people to um, forget about the, the technology and the development and all the things that went into this. You know, it, it tends to get just, you know, when the next new thing comes along, this just gets swept away. That was that was key. And so you guys are, are in the same realm that we're in, preservation of things that, uh, you know, it's just one thing that saddens me about America is that we don't, well, respect the stuff that came before this, you know, and eventually, you know, it's going to go. I mean, that's one thing I loved about electromechanical machines. When the um, EMPs hit, you know, knock out all, all the computers, I'll still be able to play my <laughs> my electromechanical pinball machine. Yeah. In fact, the, the real uh, interesting ones are the purely mechanical games from mm. the 30s. They're just... Uh, they're they're very clever what they did without electricity without any stuff, and it's um, and like we have this baseball game uh, one of <clears throat> uh, that is a you play one inning of of baseball mm -hmm. we we took it to the um, Cal Academy mm -hmm. and people line up to play that one it's funny we have new machines and 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 all this stuff I've I've been to a Google I O where, where Chris Koontz and I went there. And, we had uh, my clear pin, and this we did a, the the history of pinball, ending up at Adams Family, or, or I'm sorry, a newer machine. 
and these all these engineers, robot talking robots walking around, a flying car, <laughs> this all this stuff, you know, and all these engineers, high tech. They were lined up twenty deep <laughs> to play the nineteen thirty four mechanical game because they were fascinated at like yeah. tell there's no cord on it, you know. <laughs> And uh, yet it, it managed to count, you know, does strikes and balls and, and runs and outs. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Keeps track of all of that. And when you get three outs, that's it. The game's over. Right? <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah. I think, I think um, preserving, preserving that history is important. And I think that, like, gaming history isn't even as old as pinball history. But it's a lot of those early days are still being forgotten. Um, and so I think it's, it is important, you know, to preserve that somewhere. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, where can people find the museum? What are your hours? Jeez, we're at uh, 1510 Webster Street in Alameda. And we are open six days a week. We're closed on Mondays. We open at uh, 11 o'clock and go till 9 o'clock, except on the Saturday or Friday and Saturday. We're open till 10. Admission is $22 for adults. Everything's on free play except for the four machines in the front. And yeah, you play all you want all day. You can cut, you get a wristband so you can go out and get lunch or dinner and come back. Some people spend the whole day there. Let's, let's, uh, let's find a time to get over there and play a few pinball games. Okay. Next, next, I'd love next to do that. We get, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the main cast. Yeah. I really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yeah. Really. Thank you for coming by. So we are, yeah. So we are here at the actual museum uh, in downtown Alameda. It looks like you've got a room with maybe thirty or so pinball machines. Another room with how many? So there's a total of 106 games you can play. Then there's a collection of static games uh, that are, you know, from the 30s and 40s that you can't play because they're just. They don't have flippers. Uh, they're not, not that interesting, and they're a little too precious for us to let the public play them. Yeah, the, tell me what I'm looking at here. Okay, so this is a uh, uh, improvements in parlor bagatelle, and okay. this was done in 1869 by Montague Redgrave, and it's a commercialization of the French game bagatelle, which. Uh, they say it originated in Greek, the actual game of rolling a ball up a hill and letting it curve back and hit something. Sure. Yeah, that's that's uh, way back. <laughs> yeah, way back. Um, this came out of the, uh, the French aristocracy because they had lawn bowling and things like that where you'd hit pins. So they decided to make an indoor game. But the bowling thing was just too long right. for... for indoor use you know so they said okay well let's let's just take the whole bowling concept and fold it in half and put it at an angle so instead of just a straight shot at bowling at these pins the, you'll have to roll it up and around and then it'll come back down on the other side so that's where the curve thing yeah. at the top of the sure. pinball came from and that's where the whole concept kind of was developed from a folded up lawn lawn bowling yeah, tabletop lawn bowling yeah if, if you turn around, you'll see Mayor LaGuardia. He's pushing over a bally bumper. Right. He's our anti-hero, I guess, <laughs> you know, for pinball. Um, yeah, he really hated pinball. It's, it, uh, and it's funny because we have that game here. Oh, okay. Uh, not, not the one in the picture, but right. a bally bumper that was confiscated from Oakland when they were illegal, and the cops went and Oakland police went and scooped them all up. And I guess in 1935, 1936... 
a Bally bumper was probably comparable to like an Apple computer these days, right? <laughs> yeah. So they weren't going to toss them in the bay or smash them up. Um, I'm sure they did a lot of them, but instead, Alameda at that point was a kind of a loosey-goosey party town. Yeah. Um, so the police brought him over and gave him his gifts to the Alameda police, <laughs> and that is where I got this one. Is that where that one came yeah. from? Yeah. I'd, I'd love to take a yeah, look at this one. Take a look. You got it right over here. So this is the first game that you launch the ball, and when it hits one of those little spring things, it makes points. <laughs> and it made one point. <laughs> Not bad. So it's pretty amazing. The thing that's really unique is see, it's got a little projector for the score unit. So yeah. every time you hit one of those little bumpers, it puts 10 points on there. It's got like a, a backlit score counter, 80, 90, 100. It's a little projector. It's got a disc with the numbers on it, and it's got a little lens. And um, they eventually use that to project this, the credits, like how many credits you've won. Bally was the king of gambling games, and right next to it, this is a bingo game. A right. bingo game is where you have a, a bunch of holes, no flippers, and it's one of the earliest ones, not the earliest, but it's a bingo card, and the more money you put into it, the more the odds will go up. 24. Okay. And then 24 lights up on the board up there. Okay, I get it. 13. Oh, see, the 13 and the 2. That's good. Now, so now I want a 9. And these these are the games that rob people of money. I mean, now it's starting to... Do you hear, you hear that uh, thing in the back? Kind yeah, of, yeah it's, starting to, it's starting to scan to see if I have any winning numbers. Now, the amazing thing about these, if somebody does well and they're winning, it has what's called a re reflex unit. The reflex unit adjusts the odds down. So that, oh, really? Yeah. Wow. It makes it harder. So bad. It makes it harder to, to win. That's incredible. Than for the next person. I don't think anybody knew what it was. We didn't know what it was. I mean, we have we have a top-notch guy, Chris from uh, Pinball Pirate. He's our mentor for fixing these things on our fix-it night. And he kept looking at that thing, and he didn't know what it was. And then he's the one who figured out, oh, it's a, it is a reflex unit. That's like a modern discovery. Well, they used it. They about. used it back in the fifties, forties, and fifties. But it sounds like maybe the people playing it didn't know about it. The shop owners didn't know about it. It was a sealed unit. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it. I. I don't know when. You know. It was, it was common knowledge, but yeah, they're kind of funny. It's like a little transmission yeah. that the more you win, okay, the less liberal it's going to be with giving you points. Right. Yeah. It actually racks them back. So as you can tell from that segment, we did find a time to visit the museum, and there was just way too much history for me to be able to cover. But I highly recommend checking it out on Webster Street next time you're in Alameda or you can check out pacificpinball.org to learn more about their work. Thank you for listening to the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment's official podcast. If you've got any thoughts, questions, corrections, or general museum ideas, shoot us an email at info at We'd also like to send out a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our Patreon supporters who help keep the maid afloat. Patreon supporters get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming services, and we'll continue to do that with future episodes every other week. 
This week's episode was brought to you in part by Patreon donors Priska Ekins, Karen Brenchley, and Eel Waffles, apparently. Thank you for your support. Until next time, I'm Jed, and we'll see you in a couple weeks.